This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome to Journey of Unity number nine. Before we begin, I do want to say um, thank you to everybody who participated in the Torah Anytime campaign. They had a raised on campaign, which Baruch Hashem was very, very successful. Um, it's never over because Torah Anytime is a massive organization which which has a humongous budget. Um, so anybody who would like to show their Hakkar Satayif to Torah Anytime, feel free to go on to raisethon.com forward slash Torah Anytime and participate in this Raisethon, even though it's finished. And one thing I spoke about on the Raisethon is that anybody who donates $500 on my page gets a metal print picture that I took and you can hang it in your house and it'll be inscribed by various members of Torah Anytime. So just throwing that out there. It's still going on. Anybody who would like to donate and help out Torah Anytime, by all means, that's available. All right. So journey of unity number nine. So the Pasuk that we're up to, the Pasuk says, Tamaki Sahra, Balaila Neira, which means Tamaki Sahra. This Aishas Chayel, which is we're talking on both sides of the fence, the men, the women, they see that the Shaira that they have is Taif, that it's good. And they don't allow the candle to be extinguished at night, which in the simplest, simplest form, which I don't want to talk about tonight, is the simplest form is that this person, this Ashes Chayel or this Ish Chayel, this uh, rock star of a man, he knows how great he is. He knows how great his Chayra is. And if you remember, we've been talking a lot about fields and vineyards and shipping and imports and exports. So this person is so good at their job that by Vatama Kitaif Sakra, they see that their schayra is very good. They're making a lot of money. So la So therefore they're not sleeping. When you're making good money, you don't sleep. When you're productive, you don't sleep. So that's what this person does. They make sure that they're not sleeping. Even at night, the lights are on, the music is on. The place is happening. Why? Because nobody wants to lose out on lose out on money, and that's the. I wouldn't even call that the pasha pshat. I would call that like the upshot. It's a pshat. It's a pshat. A pshat is that because this person was so involved in commerce that they're doing well. So then people who are doing well don't usually feel lethargic and weak and sleepy and, and tired. I want to talk about three different ideas tonight, which are based on these exact words. Tama kitayv sachra. A person sees kitayv sachra that their schayra is good. They make sure that their light does not get extinguished at night. And the first idea I want to talk about is that everybody here, everybody has what we would call schayra, like almost like in the Yiddish vernacular, people might say like, like what, like what schayra do you have? Like, like, like what do you, what do you have? What do you have going on in your life? And that, whatever it is that you have going on in your life, we'll call that, that's your schayra. A person goes through their life with schayra. Now, schayra are your abilities. Schayra is your emotions. Schayra is your your spouse, your children, your house, your business. That is your schayra. And what a person goes through their life with all of that quote-unquote schayra, when they go through their life with all of their, I don't want to call it baggage, but it could be good baggage. It's like the things that you go through your your journey of life with, that is your schayra. Tama. This Aisha Schayel, she sees that her Schayra is good. She knows that she's good. She has talents. She's smart. She's capable. She's confident. She's strong. He's strong. He's successful. He's learning. They have great children. They have a confidence in what they have going on. Tama, they taste, they feel, they sense. Kitav Sakra, that everything is good. 
And then, Therefore, they make sure to advance the things in their life that they want to advance. They're not just like this wishy-washy personality. They're like, I don't know. Who am I? What am I? They know who they are. And the first idea that I want to touch on is really the precursor to every single relationship. When we talk about marriage, we always say that what is marriage? What is the word of marriage that the Pasuk uses is davak. Davak means a connection to somebody else. And really, if you think about it, a strong marriage is a connection to something else. A good Shemayna Esrei is a connection to the words that you're saying. You're tuned in, you're dialed in, you understand the words that you're saying, what you're davening for. That's that's connection, which means that the opposite of connection is disconnection. You're davening Shemayna Esrei, but you're texting someone on your phone. You're saying the words, but you're totally disconnected. Or you're talking to your spouse and you're texting someone on your phone. You know what I'm saying? Like you're there, but you're not really present in the moment. Or you're not tuned in to your spouse and what they have going on. So kasher, a connection with somebody else, is in a certain sense the essence of marriage. So what is the precursor to kasher with somebody else? The answer is obviously it's kasher with yourself. This person, this successful person, this is what... The Pasuk is saying, I believe. Tama sahra. Before you can see the good in somebody else, you have to know what it means to see good in yourself. Before you can connect to somebody else, you have to be able to see a real connection with yourself. In order to facilitate a strong connection with somebody else, to see the good in them, to facilitate the good in them, to live a life where you're really dialed into them, you have to first be able to do that with yourself. sahra. That who she is, is amazing. And I want to share with you like a, a small little litmus test. You could do this at home to determine if you have this quality or not. If your general emotional state is going very high or very low, then there's probably what to work on in this sense. As a person who is so self-aware, they first of all have an awareness of their emotions, but on the other side of things, they have an awareness of their abilities, their capabilities, their strengths, their drive, their confidence. These people, people who live their lives with those qualities, they're not very easily shaken. Because they know they're amazing. So when something happens, they're not very wishy-washy. They're able to be vulnerable. They're able to be challenged. You're able to say to them, what? And they go, oh yeah, I hear you. And not they, they go, well, what do you mean? Why? Like they don't get caught up in that whole emotional roller coaster of you jumped on the roller coaster and they jumped on the roller coaster. They're able to be very equilibrium, not stoic, but it goes like a nice heart monitor. It goes up and it goes down. It goes up and it goes down. They're able to be up a little bit and be down a little bit. It's not massive fluctuations up, massive crashes down. Somebody who knows their innate strengths, who they are, such a person has great boundaries. They have real respect for other people. They have resilience when things are not going well. They have authentic connections to other people. And they're able to be vulnerable and they're able to be challenged. That's what it means. Kitoiv Sahra. She knows who she is. She knows who she is. He knows who he is. He's able to like really be like, I'm the man. I'm the man. You, you can't say something that's going to throw me off my, off, off who I am. When there, when there is a challenge, when there's something, it's so much good that the bad is like not even a big deal. It's really not much going on. I remember a few years ago, I met a person, <laughs> excuse me, who he sat down. We started going through this person's life and he was telling me his whole story. It was like a very long story. It was like married many, many, many years. And as he started talking to me, I realized that this person had what I 
qualify as something called low father. When I talk about confidence, really part of a bigger schmooze, when I talk about confidence, confidence to me is a quality that comes from the male side of our brain. Whereas the emotional side of things is really what I would classify as mother. So people have either good father, good mother, low father, low mother, high mother, high father. It's a longer schmooze. We could talk about that for an hour. A low father is usually somebody who has very low emotional fortitude. And this person was telling me a whole bunch of things. And at one point they said that they were in their house and it was the first of the the month and the the landlord texted them, by the way, it's the first, I thought you were going to drop off rent. You know, like I didn't get my rent this month. Like what's going on? So like three o'clock in the morning, this guy's wife wakes up, looks across the room, sees this guy is like stuffing things into suitcases and he's like running out of the house. He's coming back in and running out of the house. And she's like, what is going on? Like it's 3 a.m. Like what's happening here? So then at, at, at like 4 a.m., he comes into the room. He's like, honey, get up. You know, she's like, what's going on? And he's, he's like, we're leaving. He's like, where are we leaving? Like who's after us? Like what's going on? And he's like, I'll tell you later. He packed up his family into a car, whoosh, packed off. They were gone. Right. So when we we're talking about it, I said, why did you do that? Like it was only the first of the month. Your lease probably said you could pay till the fifth of the month. Right. And even if you're in default, this guy's not coming in tomorrow, like throwing you through like a glass window. Like, I don't understand. Why do you have such a strong reaction? And this was one of maybe a hundred stories within this person's life. And when I explained to him, I said, you realize, I didn't say these words, I said, you realize that there's a low father situation over here, that there's no zikh, there's no, there's no ability to like be challenged and stand up to those challenges. It's not fight or flight. It's flight as fast as you can go. He was like, oh my goodness. I just, he was like probably in his fifties. He's like, I cannot believe that I lived my entire life without understanding what I was doing. I was always running away from things. When my boss came in and said, this report is no good. I quit. I can't work here. This place is abusive. All of a sudden, I'm out the door. It was like unbelievable that awareness of what's going on in that person's life. Tamaki Sakra is the essence of what a person is. Is Before you're married, you're a person. The essence of what a person is, the confidence that a person has, the resilience that a person has, the emotional fortitude to push through things. You know who you are. If you're strong in that department, wow, you have a really great chance of connecting to somebody else. You have a really great chance of being in a relationship that there's a vulnerability and the person's pushing your buttons and you're like, yeah, it's fine. I hear you. I hear that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for pointing that out. I really need to work on that. As opposed to like, I can't believe you spoke to me like that. It's ridiculous. Nobody talks to me in that tone. Like the tone I hear all the time from people, like the tone, the tone is terrible. Like, fine like what did the person say i can't even focus on what they said the tone is like just throwing me off people who who are very focused on that they oftentimes they don't have enough fortitude to be able to stand up to what's being conveyed to them they're not even hearing the words because all they're hearing is the criticism okay you know who you are you're great you're amazing not a big deal you have something to say by all means go ahead and do that somebody share with me an amazing story of a couple. It, it, it's it's not even amazing in the outcome. It's amazing in the simplicity. Like this pastor, it's amazing in the simplicity. It's one small idea of 50 years of living a life where you're running away from your whole life. You understand what that means? Running away from your boss and your landlord and your wife and your children and and your, and, and the Rebbe calls up and says, your kid did this in school and you're like, oh, we're switching schools. <laughs> you understand? Everything is, you're running. You're always running for the hills. Where are you running? It's, it's, it's amazingly simple. Amazingly simple. So another just short story on this. 
there was a couple where the wife noticed in the husband that every time people brought up uh, the idea of his work, he, he never liked it. He would always switch topics. So she, somebody would bring up, say, oh, what job do you have? What do you do? And he was always like, I, I don't know, whatever. And then he would start talking about like his dafyaimi and his shir that he goes to. And they were like, oh, very nice. Okay, great. But like, where do you work? Like, what's, what office building are you? And he's like, yeah, no, like, like my Rebbe, my shir. And the wife pulled him aside once and said, are you insecure about the fact that you're not in Kyle anymore? Like, is that like really bothering you? And the guy like took a second, like connected a few dots in his brain and was like, yeah, I guess I sort of am. Like I, I never like put two and two together. And the wife spent a long time building him up. You know, I really respect the fact that you got a degree and that you get up in the morning and you learn and not everybody's cut out to be, you know, the princes of Kalisrael sitting and learning for 18 hours a day. That's not for everybody, but you're my prince. You're amazing. You're doing a great job. And like really like built him up that little ability for him to hear and be vulnerable and be like, yeah, that's, it's something that I'm struggling with, was able to propel their marriage instead of him hiding behind this wall. I hear from couples all the time that there's like a wall between them. I don't know where, where they get the materials to build this wall. There's like this wall that one person's hiding on this side and the other person's on the other side. Means that we're able to take down this wall. We're able to talk to each other openly and have a real candid conversation about life. Nobody's running for the hills. Nobody's escaping. Nobody's looking for the nearest exit. That ability to be able to remove the barrier that's between a couple is an extremely important tool. But I would argue that that tool not always is present when a couple, when a person walks into marriage. It's almost like a skill that has to be developed over time, or some people have it innate from, I'll call it the mother or the father, like they're able to build it through those skills. Okay. That's the first idea. Tama, Kitav Sakra. Recognize that you're awesome. You realize you're amazing. You realize you're, you're kaichas. You know who you are. Not many things are going to throw you off. If you don't know how great you are, if you don't feel confident, if you don't feel that equilibrium in your life, then every time something happens, it's just going to become another roller coaster. It's going to be more roller coasters than are in Six Flags Great Adventure. Okay. So that's the first idea. Second idea is as follows. So it's really based on the Malbum. And the Malbim says that, you know, there's a, a famous song is Taira is the best Tzchaira, right? The Taira is the best Tzchaira. The Malbim basically says that in his own words. And he says, Talmaki Taif Sachra, that she or he, this Eishas Chayel, this proverbial Eishas Chayel, Talmaki Taif Sachra, that they have the best Tzchaira. What is the best Tzchaira? It's Tzchaira that lasts that they're legacy, I'll call it their legacy, does not extinguish. What does that mean? It means that the person puts enough kaychas into their day that the schayra that they have, what they leave behind, is not money. A lot of things in, in Mishle are metaphors. We're not so focused on the fact that this woman has vineyards and this woman has fields and this woman's import-export. Nobody really cares that much about that. That's here today and it's gone tomorrow. What is this person who's an amazing husband, an amazing wife? What are they leaving behind? What is their legacy? What is the thing that their ner will never go out? Even as they sail into the sunset, as the sun sets on their life and it goes into darkness, they pass away. What is that thing? That thing is their legacy. That the Eishashchayel, the person who wants to be an amazing husband, an amazing wife, an amazing mother, amazing father, they make sure to dedicate a lot of their focus 
on their legacy, that they're actually leaving something over. Sometimes it's their children. Sometimes it's investments in things that will impact and shape the world. And I was thinking that there's really like four things. The acronym I would use here is like RICE. They invest in RICE. What does that mean, RICE? In medical terms, RICE means rest, ice, compression, and elevation, like when somebody falls. So always remember RICE. Rest, right? Don't go scootering after you fall off your scooter, right? Ice, put on ice so the swelling goes down. (laughs) Compression, which means you tighten something around it so it doesn't swell up. And elevation, you keep it elevated. Okay, so that's what I mean. And splint is rices. If you want to have rices, then you uh, it needs to be splinted. Okay, so rice. But don't invest in that side of ty- type of rice. The type of rice that I want you to invest in is a different type of rice. It's resilience, integrity, compassion, and empathy. Resilience, integrity, compassion, and empathy. If a person invests in rice, in that kind of rice, then it's usually something that gets transmitted to their children. Their children will have these values. And if a person either shares these values, they talk about these values, they teach these values, they model these values, they support these values, and they live with these values, that oftentimes gets transmitted, it's contagious, to the family members that surround themselves with you. And the idea of Tamaki Taif Sahra means that she knows, or he knows, this person who wants to be a successful spouse, they know that living their life where your whole focus of your conversation is iced coffees or, you know, whatever's going on in the news or sports or things that are very low level, your children's legacy should not be that they are a Jets, a Giants, a Yankee, or a Knicks fan. That should not be the legacy that you leave over to your children. It should be something which is meaningful, that you're able to discern something on your children's life, on their face. Wow, this is a special kid. This kid is so sweet. This kid is so honest. This kid is so resilient. The qualities that are admirable, that people will look and say like, whose kid is this? This kid is a rock star. Those qualities are things that have to be worked on consciously. Tama, she almost like tastes it. She feels it. He types Sakura. She, she focuses on this. She makes sure that she has the best Chaira. Whatever her values are, that are real values, she's giving that over to her children. And then, it just lives forever. I want to share with you three very short stories. One of them, which sort of blew my mind, because it's a story that actually impacts me a lot. Personal story. This past Pesach, we were on a program. And when we came to the program, they had outside the dining room, like a long, big like plaque that said everybody's names, every family, and what table you were sitting at. So you look through A, B, C, D, E, find E. We see, okay, Ruben Epstein sitting at table 18. And then I see right under that it says Ruben Epstein is sitting at table 19. I was like, that must be a typo. Okay. So I was like, maybe they gave us two tables, Ruben Epstein, Ruben Epstein. Interesting. And it's come to the table. I see Ruben Epstein's table, my table, sit up, set up for eight people. And I see there's a small table, table 19, smaller table, and table 19. I was like, okay, that's interesting. So we start our meal, sitting, and this couple comes and sits down. It's two couples, they're sitting. And then, like, a few minutes in, this guy comes over and he goes, oh, hi, how are you? Are you Ruben Epstein? So I said, yeah. He said, oh, that's so nice. I'm Ruben Epstein. I said, oh, it's so funny. We have like such a similar name. He's like, yeah, actually, we're related. 
said, really? That's so nice. How are we related? So he said, yeah, you don't know. Like your grandfather and my father were brothers. Like we were first cousins once removed. I said, oh, that's so interesting. I be very honest with you. I never even knew that you existed. So it's really pleasure. Nice meeting you. And over Yantif, we spent, you know, a lot of time. It was interesting to me that I didn't know my grandfather. Obviously, I'm named after him. His name was Ruven Epstein. Now, the only thing that I really know about my grandfather was that my grandfather was a young man, teenager, living in Manhattan in the early 1900s. He was born in 1910, 1911. And Rabbi Yaakov Yasef Herman found him and some other Bachram and sent them to learn in the mirror in Europe. So he sent them in the 20s, late 20s, as Bachram to go learn in the mirror in, in Europe by Rabbi Rucham Lavavitz and that, you know, side of things. And then he went from there and he learned by Rabbi Ber in Kamenetz. And he then came back, he became a Rav, and that's my father's father. But he died tragically when he was 52 years old and it was right after my father's bar mitzvah. And obviously my father grew up like as a yasim from a younger age. And that's the story that I know. And I always heard the story. And that's like the famous story in the family. And he got smicha from Rabbar Achbar. And he got smicha from, from others. Like he traveled to Brisk and from Rabsim Chazelig. And that's like the story in the family of my, my grandma. But as I was talking to this man, he said, you know, you know, your grandfather was like a rav, a very learned man. I said, yeah, you know, of course, sure. So he said, did you know that it was my father who supported your grandfather in Europe that he was able to stay there for all those years? Did you know that? And I said, no, I never knew that. He said, yeah, it's, an, it's, it's a known thing that Izzy Epstein supported Ruvain Epstein as he went to learn in Europe and he became who he became. That's all because of my father who, who did that. And like he left our table, I turned to my wife and said, like, could you imagine something? My entire mishpacha owes everything to this man's father. He invested literally in, he thought it was just his brother, but daire dairis, all the generations, my uncles who are Rabbanim, the whole family, Shemr Shabbos, from all of that, everything that we come from is literally because this man, I don't know how many dollars he sent, you know, to support my grandfather for all those years, literally changed the course. And I didn't even know this man ever existed. But Izzy Epstein, his Ganeden is a very, very lichtige Ganeden because of what he spent, sent a few dollars to send his brother to, to go learn in Europe. The hundreds of Epstein children that are now in existence are all really a testament to the, to, to the few dollars that he invested over there. He invested in a legacy, something that he may not even realize what he did at the, at the time. We all have things in our lives, we have people in our lives that we, we can invest in them. The most obvious one is our children. If we invest in them, then the parents that they give over after all those years, that's, that's, that's us. That's, that's us. That's our children. That's our family. And if we put those kaychas in, then we're able to reap the, you know, the benefits of, of, of those investments. I just want to say on the other side of my family, once we're, uh, here in group therapy, thank you for being here, is, uh, is, uh, is on my mother's side. I just want to say also that my grandmother, when she came over from Europe, she had absolutely no money and she was insistent that her three children went to yeshiva. And the yeshiva, there's two stories about this. One is the yeshiva did not want to take them in because she was not as right wing as they wanted. 
And she stood up and she told the board that was like the acceptance board. She said, so you guys basically are like a hospital that only takes in, you know, healthy people. What's the kunst to take in like the Rosh Hashiva's kid and turn him into a Rosh Hashiva? Take my kids and turn them into something. And they they chuckled and they said, you know, we like your argument. And they they ended up taking them in. Um, and my grandmother always used to say that her neighbor had a few children. And she always used to say to her, Susie, are you crazy? You're spending like half your paycheck to send your kids to yeshiva? Like, just send them to public school like me. You'll be able to live a normal life. Like, why are you sending all, you know, why are you spending all your money sending your kids to, to yeshiva? And my grandmother, she passed away a couple years ago. She was turning 99. She always used to say, I look at my life and like everything I have was all based on that decision to invest in my children's future. And this woman, none of her kids are even Jewish. So they all intermarried and they're all totally assimilated. So these are like the extremes, obviously, of an investment in a, in a person's legacy. Every single one of us, though, have certain midos, certain integrities, certain resiliences, certain parts of who we are as individuals. And if you instill that in your family, if you make sure that like your kids know this is how we daven, this is how we give tzedakah, this is how we are MS in business, this is how we do, whatever the case is, if you spend the time to make sure that your kids are aware of what that is, if your husband, if you support him in his learning, in his davening, and whatever the case may be, that is your legacy. That is something that will pay dividends for many, many years. And the third thing I want to talk about is the medrash we always say refers to each one of these psukim as a different character from Tanakh. It sounds like a fictitious character, but obviously these are real people. And there's a lot of depth to each pasuk being attributed to those individual people. This pasuk, this pasuk, of the Medra says is referring to Chana. First the Chana. Why Chana? Because Tama Kitav Sachra, because she knew Kitav Sachra, what good Schaira was, and I'll explain that what that means in a second. And La his light was not extinguished. Who was Chana? What was she known for? She said probably the most famous words ever. Eli Akain comes to her and he sees this woman davening and he says, are you drunk? Like, what's going on over here? Because he sees on the Urum Batumim that it says Shekaira and it really means Kisara, right? He thought it said Shekaira. It really meant, really the letters were mixed up and it was supposed to be Kisara, that she was davening like Sarah. And what does she say when she comes back and she has a baby? She says, El Hanar Hazeh On this child, I daven. What does that mean? On this child, I daven. Yes, most people you'd say, I daven for a baby. Most people, you daven, you daven for a baby. You want to have a baby. You daven for a husband. You want to have a husband. That's a great tefillah to have. That's not what she said. She said, I envisioned exactly what my child is going to be like. I know exactly what type of child I want to, I want to raise. I know exactly the kaychas I want him to have. I know, I knew before he was even conceived what I was davening for. And then, Alhanarazet, this is the one. You should know. I got exactly what I asked for. This is the one that I daven for. And then she dedicated him for the rest of his life to the Beis HaMikdash, and ultimately he became Shmuel Hanavi, right? He had Nabu even from when he was a young child. That's the story of, of Shmuel. Because it was coming off of his mother's ability to involve herself, and this is what I want to talk about, involve herself in his future visualize the path to greatness that he ultimately was going to have to take 
She davened and davened and davened for very, very specific things. And then when it happened, she recognized it. What is the Medrash saying? Is that in every area of your life, if you're looking at your spouse and you want to know the best thing you can do for your spouse, besides all the present stuff that you can do, you know, the things that we do in this world, you can daven your brains out for your spouse and for your children and for yourself. But there's a catch. It has to be elanar hazeh hispalalti. You have to know what you're davening for. It's not just bracha hatzlacha parnasa shadochim. You know, everybody always says you're supposed to daven for gethen, right? Gezum parnasa nachatz. It's very, very nice. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, and we should do that. But when you're much more specific, I think that's like a key to shalomayas. You're involved in your spouse's life. You're involved in your children's life. You're not davening for your children to be successful. You're davening for your son who's in fifth grade, who's learning Elam to have Hatzlacha with his Rebbe, who's Rabbi this, and he should have a good friend, and that friend should be nice to him throughout the course of the year. You're davening because you're involved. There's the tefillah side of things, of course, but it's also the fact that you as a mother, as a father, you're involved as a husband, as a wife, you're involved in your spouse's life. Don't just dive in for Parnassa. My husband who sells plastic bags, who buys things from China, should see Hatzlacha in his life because you're involved. You know what's going on. You're not living two separate worlds. You're living in that world. Yes, this is what I dive in for. I'm so happy that the prices came down from plastic bags from China because I know what I'm talking about. I'm not just a disassociated mother, a disassociated wife. You're, you're, you're tuned in and you know what's going on. There's no such thing as tefillah that goes unanswered. I'll just end with a very quick story that I just read. I thought it was a fascinating story. There was this man who came and knocked on the door of a Kirov Yeshiva in Yerushalayim. The Rosh Yeshiva opened the door. He sees this man standing there. This man's in his mid-70s. And he says, hi, Shalom Aleichem, how are you? You know, can I help you? And the guy says, yeah, I'm here and I'd like to become from. Completely secular guy, just standing there. Says, I'd like to become from. He says, it's interesting. Okay, come on in. Let's sit down. Let's talk. You know, like, what's your story? He says, yeah. I I grew up my whole life totally secular, but I decided now that I would like to become religious and, uh, you know, start teaching me. Tell me what I got to know. So he said, there's got to be more to the story. Nobody just wakes up at 75 years old and decides that they want to become from. What's your story? So he said, when I go back all the way to when I was a child, my story is as follows. The story was, was that this was a couple that his parents were a couple that went through the Holocaust. And his father was killed and his mother emigrated with him as a child to Eretz Yisrael. They came to Eretz Yisrael. She was an almana. He was a yasam. They had nothing. They, The mother decided, like, I'm finished with this whole religion thing. This is just not for me. Where was Hashem during the Holocaust? She had too many questions. She just said, I can't do this. She decided she can't raise her kid on her own. She's going to send her kid to an orphanage. The orphanage that she sent him to happened to be started by the Panovich Arav. She didn't know that. And the kid showed up the first day. Kid doesn't know anything. And all of a sudden, they're like, this is how you make brachas and lighting candles for Shabbos and muksa and klirishan and klisheni. And this kid's like taking everything in as his little kid. This is his new home, his new life. And after a few days, his mother came to visit him. And she's like, this is, no, I didn't realize this place was religious. I'm sorry, I'm pulling him out. They said, no, no, it's fine. We'll take care of him. She said, I'm not interested. She grabbed her son, she pulled him out, and she said, I'll do this on my own. Thank you, but no thank you, I'm going home. She went home. The next day, the Panavicharak came to the place, and he knew each and every kid in the orphanage. And he said, where's that new kid, the kid who was here a couple days ago? They said, yeah, he was here, but his mother pulled him out. 
The Panavicharov went, took a bus, and he came to this boy's house. And he knocked on the door, and the mother said, Who is it? He said, Rabbi Kahneman, can I please speak to you? She said, No, you can't talk to me. He said, Please let me come into the house for two minutes. No, you can't come in. He begged and begged and begged, and finally she said, Okay, I'll open the door. You could come in, but I just want to tell you, you're wasting your time. I'm not giving you back my son. I'm raising him the way I want to raise him. And the, the Panavich Rav was standing by the door, and the boy saw him standing, and the boy felt as, as a, a matter of respect that he should get him a chair. So he pulled up a chair, and he said, Rebbe, you know, feel free to sit down. The mother's sitting there like this, like nothing's happening, you know. And the Panavich Rav sat down, and he said, listen, I see you made up your mind. I can't change your mind. So if you don't mind, just give me a few minutes. And he sat there, took out a Tehillim, and he just started crying. And he, he davened for a good 10 minutes, and he closed the Tehillim, and he turned and he said, Emirat Hashem, my tefillah is, is that one day you'll have a hair of tshuva, and you'll find your way back home. We're trying to offer it you now, to you now. If it's not for you now, okay, maybe one day it will, it'll be there for you. And he closed it, and he said, Shalom, appreciate your time, and he walked out the door. And this man said, he said, this was over 70 years ago. I was a little kid. He said, but there was, it, it, it just fired something up inside of me. And my whole life I lived, that's how my mother raised me. He said, but now something's surging up inside of me. Like I'm feeling something inside of me. I just can't deny it. And I just, I just, I have to, I have to come here. It's, it's better late than ever. And I'm ready to, to take the plunge. And this man, this man went, sat down in yeshiva like Rabbi Akiva and just started learning from, you know, from the beginning. Every one of us, there's all the practical stuff that we can do for our relationships. We can, we can have all the marriage advice in the world. We can, you know, and coming from me, I think this is, this is a very big statement. You know, like my whole life is sitting there studying marriage and giving over marriage and every, every tactic and every advice and everything you can do. But at the end of the day, you know what I'm saying? Like we're on this planet for a short amount of time and what you can't accomplish, your father, Avinu Shabashamayim, there's nothing that he can't do. So when your children are going through things, when your husband is going through things, when you send your husband off to yeshiva, it's not a time to turn to Torah anytime or Netflix or anything else to now like, okay, fine, he's gone, I'm gone. No, take a few minutes each day. Invest, invest in davening. But before you daven, know what you're davening for. Know who you're davening for. Know what the reality of your spouse's life is about. What is this person living? Where are they going? What are, what are their challenges? You're davening for like general hatzlach or you're like, you know what your husband's going through. You know what your wife is struggling with. Daven for their emotional well-being on the specific things that challenge them within their life. Each child take the time to like really delve into their life and understand what they're going through, what their challenges are. And if you do that, you're able to like sort of awaken some kaychas, which will maybe not be seen right away. Maybe they will, they will, but if they're not, there's always a place for that tefillah in that, in that person's life. And if you send that tefillah in their direction, ultimately it will definitely come and play itself out. So just to summarize, Tama Kitav Sakra. A person needs to know that they are awesome. They are amazing. You're a chelik alikamimal. You are just packed with abilities. And if you focus on those abilities, your kaychas, if you realize what you have good in your life, the greatest thing you can do for yourself is to be the most confident person in your relationship. It just, it just helps not just your confidence, but also your emotion. And on the other side of things, um, a person should invest. Realize that if you invest in your legacy, if you invest a percentage of your day in giving over certain 
values to your children, living those values, teaching those values, supporting those values. Your, your legacy will never be extinguished. Who you are is who you are. And then the, th- this, the third side of things, which is davening. Make sure that your tefillah is real. What does it mean real? That it's specific and you're connecting to the people in your life. I daven on this, on this specific person, on this specific tzara, on this specific thing. This was what I wanted Hashem to come and give me a Yeshua. And a person who does that is able to really maximize the people around them in their relationships. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.